0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. Welcome to another episode of Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm going to be your host today. Just a reminder for all of our listeners, please go ahead and help us out by leaving a rating or review, a rating and a review, actually, uh, you can do that on Apple Podcast, on Podchaser, or any other platforms that you know that take ratings and reviews. It helps out, uh, helps out a lot for anybody that doesn't already know about the podcast, for anybody that isn't aware of it. It helps pop up in their relevancy queue, and it'll just help pop in for those people, anybody who needs to hear these stories who weren't aware yet. You never know when one of these stories can really resonate with someone and can really help someone. You never know when one of these stories might save someone's life and help them make the, the better decision for their life and just start heading down the right path. Uh, with that being said, I want to bring on today's next guest. This is someone that, like a lot of our guests, is someone that I've been trying to get in here for a while. Uh, just something that we had to schedule in. And I'm just really excited to have today's guest. This is someone who has been a member of the Staying Fit ODAC community for a while uh, and, and joined in within the first few months, definitely within the first year. And someone that I've just... Really enjoyed watching the journey, whether it is with with the little guy. Eddie is just doing awesome stuff at with uh, with baseball and with sports in general, Uh, watching watching her herself get all of the great runs down, watching watching the little one serve serve dinners at home. It's just it's it's an amazing family dynamic, even you and your mom. And it's just really exciting. And then there's something that we even want to talk about later with the missing indigenous women i don't even know if i said that correctly um but just there there's too much bad stuff going on there as well so definitely some awareness we need to continue raising uh to help out and put an end to some of those things so yeah i think that pretty much covers everything i wanted to bring in for the intro so birdie how are you today hi good morning doing well awesome awesome uh, I was always curious and you don't have to, is that, is that your actual name or is that a nickname or it's, it's such a cool name.
1: Yeah, that is my, um, government name.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love
1: it. Yeah. I was named after my great grandmother and my aunt. So I carry, carry it on. Um, that's
0: a, it's hopefully- such a cool name. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh so yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living, if you want to share that. Sure. So um my my name is birdie
1: Um, I just turned 40 last month. <laughs> um,
0: I would never believe that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, being turning 40 on only turning 40 mm-hmm. once I decided I wanted to. Run a marathon. We can talk about that um, later because, you know, not very many people celebrate their birthday running, but maybe, maybe most of us do, you know, that are crazy. Um, But I'm full blooded Native American. I'm originally from Oklahoma. I was born there. I grew up here in the Pacific Northwest in Portland and I work for a nonprofit Native American organization. It's the Northwest Portland Area Indian Health Board. I've been there for over 15 years. And we serve the 43 federally recognized tribes of Oregon, Idaho, and Washington. And my tribes, I'm an enrolled member of the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes of Oklahoma. Um, I'm Southern Cheyenne, and also Kiowa and Pawnee.
0: Nice, awesome. Now, maybe this might be naive and a little ignorant of myself, just because I'm a I'm an East Coast guy, born and raised. Um, and when I when I think of like native americans i i immediately think well like when you think of like population you you definitely think that there's like a lot of like races where you can be like you almost like say like there's a lot of these type of people here now when i immediately think of like native americans i think of like oklahoma is actually the first state that comes to mind for some reason and is am, am i correct or incorrect for thinking that like is oklahoma probably the the most populated state as far as native americans or are they like in that area are are you spread out a lot more than we think
1: um more spread out than what you think but definitely i would agree that oklahoma that whole central part of the united states is all native american land and population you know uh, kansas north dakota south dakota montana and then um more further this way new mexico um california and then oregon idaho washington
0: Okay. Okay. Cause I know yeah. like, there's like, there's like Puerto Ricans everywhere, but I swear that like half of <laughs> us are up here in like the Northeast United States, like up here in like New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, like we're all up here. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know why, I don't know why we're here, but we all are. It's like New, New York Rican is almost like its own, like has become like, it's almost race, <laughs> like it's <Yeah>. its <laughs> own race. Um, So uh, yeah. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us about your, uh, your childhood, your upbringing. I know, you kind of like myself, your drinking doesn't really start to a little bit later in life. Uh, you don't start drinking until your senior year of college. And I didn't start drinking. Until, I didn't go to college, but I didn't start drinking until I'm 21. So those, that's borderline going to be around the same age and the same time frame of our life. So why don't you go ahead and, and tell us about, you know, your first 20 years or so and, and your upbringing and everything before you found drinking? Sure.
1: Um, So I'm the oldest of of three. Um, I have two younger sisters. Um, There's a two-year gap between me and my second sister and then my baby sister. There's a five-year gap between us. Um, And I have a mom and a dad. Um, You know, they've been together now. They've been married. They'll be married in August for 41 years. So (laughs) very long time.
0: Shout out to and, mom. We'll be talking about her later too. Cause she's out there doing, doing work with you on the race course as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, growing up, um, both of my parents drank, um, and you know, growing up, you didn't, you don't really know what, uh, you know, what alcoholism is or what alcoholics do, um, or the term, you know, child of an alcoholic, um, which I learned later in life, but, um, My parents decided when I was in fourth grade that they were going to quit drinking um, because this was the year, this is how, you know, I remember um, this was the year that me and my younger sister started playing sports and my dad was there and decided, you know, that he, it was, it was mainly my dad, um, that he was seek um, outpatient treatment. Okay. And my mom went up, my mom went along with him, um, as you know, a support as a wife would, as any, as any, you know, um, spouse would support their partner. Um, and my dad and my mom never drank for like 16, 17 years. And, wow. um, yeah. And my youngest sister, you know, who's five years younger than me, never re- doesn't remember my parents drinking, doesn't remember seeing my dad drunk, doesn't remember hearing them argue, doesn't remember a lot of things, which is good. Um, and that also plays a part in my sobriety that we'll get to later. Um, but I remember my dad, you know, being being present during our athletic, you know, um, events and stuff and him teaching me how to shoot a basketball, how to dribble a ball, how to pass. Um, he taught my sister how to play. So each one of us also, each one of us took on a different path in life when it came to our sports. So I was the basketball player. My youngest sister was a softball player and my baby sister was the volleyball player. Um, I did also do track in high school. Okay. <laughs> um, I was a what long distance. Jumper, did you... tur- uh, I did run distance. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was long jump, triple jump, and then I did 300 intermediate hurdles. Um, long distance was not a thing to me.
0: Then, <laughs> what position was, were you playing on the court?
1: I was a two three guard,
0: okay guard.
1: Okay, yeah. So, so like little
0: little um, Lebron, little Lady Lebron.
1: <laughs> <laughs> more like Diana. More like Diana Tarazi <laughs>
0: Okay, she's she's a savage. She was a. Yeah. I'm at an age where I'm I'm 34. So her mm-hmm. her college career was like when I was in high school, and so like. I'm I'm guilty and you know, I'm I'm part of the problem on like why uh women's basketball like doesn't get enough ratings. It doesn't get enough of the respect that it should. I, I'll admit I'm part of the problem because I only watch the games when they absolutely matter. But I just remember like there's certain female basketball players that like when you knew they were gonna be playing, at least for me, it was like mm-hmm. I'm gonna watch this game because you're gonna see something special and you're gonna see them like that the talent doesn't even compare to the other people on the court. Like for me, it was like Diana Terassi, uh Sue Bird, mm-hmm. uh, Candace Parker. And then uh, there, there was nobody that really jumped out at me for a while up until Brittany Griner then, mm-hmm. but it was just like yep. some of them. And I just remember though, like, man, Diana, she was just something special. Like, I don't, if I'm not mistaken, she never lost a college game. Did she? I think no. she went undefeated mm-hmm. every year at mm-hmm. UConn.
1: Oh, man, mm-hmm. she's, yep.
0: she's, she's a beast. And then it carried over too. and I, I will say too, uh, one thing that's different about the women is like, at least all of those names I just said, they all had very, very good WNBA careers and they dominated in the league too. It wasn't like a lot of the, the men we see in college basketball where it's like they dominate for a year or two. And then you don't really hear about them as much in the NBA. Like these women continue to go on. And it's like, they tend to, the ones that really dominate in college tend to do very, very well in the WNBA and, and translate a lot better. And yeah. Maybe we got to do something to, to get more people watching. I, I don't know. But it's yeah, it's exciting when you when you can catch certain players. It really is fun to watch.
1: Yeah. I actually for a late Mother's Day, um, was I got to go up to Seattle and watch the Mercury play um the Seattle Storm. And I've never been this close. We sat right behind, well not right behind, but you know, like maybe 10 rows up from the mercury bench and i was just like oh my god i can see diana tarazi's face i can hear her voice i was like in shock and we sat down and um my friend was like how come you don't how come you don't have your phone out why aren't you taking pictures and i'm like will you hold on like i'm soaking this all in right now (laughs) yeah for sure this is unreal this is unreal for me i was like i'm two birds here and like it was just amazing who's the other one that
0: has like she she has um dreads has like an african name i think
1: she was just on the
0: cover she was on the cover of something recently with like Tarasi and Bird and someone else
1: oh I know who you're talking about I can't remember her name though but yeah, like you I totally followed them while I was growing up in high school and Diamond Tarasi is going to be 40 like in a few months um, oh wow yeah she's going to be 40 and it was so you really grew up with her like- Yeah, like, watching her all through UConn, all through high school, and then, like, just, and then Brittany Griner as well, I got to watch them, so I took my daughter to her very first Mercury WNBA game, and we were actually down in Arizona, and she was, I think, maybe a year old, maybe two, and I bought her a shirt, and I kept it, and it's like, this is my first Mercury game, and um, it was just so cool being there, you know, and, like, telling my daughter now, who's eight, (laughs) like, did you know I took you there, and we watched them play, and they're still playing, so, um
0: did she yeah, remember that was
1: um, I don't think so no she was so <laughs> little it was and it was way too hot I remember like it was so it was like burning up down there when we went but um but yeah it was just like that's yeah that's that's a, that's another part of my you know childhood growing up um so yeah I was the basketball player um I got a basketball scholarship to play at a community college here in Oregon, and it's about maybe three-hour drive. It's located in Coos Bay, Oregon, and literally, it's like, a beach, like on the beach, um, and played there for two years, transferred to Warren Pacific College here in Portland, and I played under um, head coach at the time, uh, Katie Stedding. She's also played in the WNBA. She's is an Olympic medal gold medalist for women's basketball for the USA team. She played at Stanford and now she's the assistant coach at Stanford with her coach <laughs> um, mm-hmm. who coached her back in the day. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so that was pretty much, um, uh, the only, really, the only truly experience that I can remember having with beer. Um, I was in second grade and I remember playing outside you know what like kids used to do back in the day when there were no phones and stuff we'd play kick the can and you know <laughs> play all those outside games and um I remember we were all outside and it was dark and there was this boy okay so you know when you're little growing up people to you that look older really aren't that older like teenagers so to me he looked like he was an older kid like maybe 18 or something and he was riding a bike and he had a bag of um he had a bag of like he had like a six pack with him. And he was riding a bike and he was like, you know, kind of swerving here. And he stopped. He's like, hey, like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, oh, we're playing. And he's like, are you guys thirsty? You want something to drink? You know? <laughs> and everybody said no. Like everybody said no. And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna be so cool if I say yeah. You know, so I so I said yes. And he had Budweiser. And I don't know if you remember how the Budweiser cans used to look back in the day. They were red, like the whole yeah. can was red. Okay. So I took the can and I just remember drinking it because, because I really was thirsty (laughs) (laughs) and I chugged like maybe half of it. And I remember thinking how disgusting that it had tasted, how gross it smelled. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't affect me in a way where I was like, oh, I want some more, like, oh, this tastes so good, you know? Um, So that was my first experience, like with beer, Um, kind of experienced it a little bit in high school, like once. And same effect, didn't care, didn't like it, didn't have a taste for it, didn't have a need or a want for it. And then um, when I went off to college, my mom and my parents would always, you know, they always like would tell me, like, even when I was in high school, you know, if you go somewhere and you're at a party or you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, that's usually when something bad's gonna happen to you. So they like instilled the fear in me literally in high school. So I didn't do anything in high school. Like I didn't go to, I went to, I didn't go to any parties. I didn't do, I just didn't do things (laughs) that were outside of like my daily routine because I was scared to get in trouble, scared to get caught, you know? Um, So when I went to college, my mom, they, I had this deal with my parents. They were, they would always say like, you know, you go, you're a student athlete first, you're a student first, then you're an athlete. You go to school, you make your grades, you know, we'll pay We'll pay your room and board um, and by paying us back you just you just make good grades you know and um, and if you decide that you're gonna go and hang out with different crowds of people and do things you know just don't always forget there's consequences and you're gonna and my mom would always say if you're gonna pay to the piper so I went to one college party in in high in college the first year and didn't drink just was because I had a teammate on my, I had a girl on my team who did that stuff uh, like partied and she would come into practice just absolutely bloodshot eyes. She smelled like alcohol. She couldn't even get, get through the practice without throwing up. Um, she would show up late and we would have to run for her. And my coach would make her sit and watch while we ran that every minute she was late, we'd have to do it like a suicide down and back. yeah and so I was just like I'm not gonna be that player like and you know and then my sophomore year I was the captain Um, and so that really like affected me as a person like how I lived my life as an athlete and how school always came first and you know I just didn't want to be caught in something And, and there were a lot of not a lot of students but you know freshman sophomore you're still learning like How to prioritize your time, and how to be disciplined, and how to be responsible, and so, um, and I didn't have any issues with that. Like I got up and went to school. You know, there was no such thing as online learning back then. (laughs) Um, And then my sophomore year, or then my yeah my junior year came. I I moved back to or I moved back to Portland. I was living in this little suburb, and I was like maybe twenty minutes from my school and. It literally wasn't until my end of my junior year, it was one of our teammates' birthday who had turned 21, and I was already 21, um, and we went out, and I just remember drinking, uh, having liquor, like, for the first time, and how liquor can be disguised in fruity drinks, and, you know, just that, that, like, that for me, in my opinion, like, opened my eyes to how liquor could be disguised as these great drinks, and like, wow, it, it doesn't smell like beer and doesn't taste like beer, you know. <laughs> um, and I think the uh, the first drink I had was like a Midori sour. Yeah, that was okay. like my very first alcoholic drink. Because um, when I think about it now, I'm just like, ew, you know, gross. Like it was so it was so tart, and like I can just, you know, I can still. Taste it, you know. I remember what it tastes like. Um, and then my senior year, uh, me and another girl, she was just tw- twenty, just turned 20, 21 and we were going out. You know, because back in the day, clubs were a big deal here in Portland. Like we'd club hop, you know, and this club would close at midnight. We'd hop, you know, we'd literally go across the street, go to the home at like four thirty in the morning, um, and So I was kind of, you know, drinking, I was drinking then, but not to the point where blacking out started happening. And uh, at this point, you're not drinking any more than any
0: college student.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I was responsible. (laughs) Yeah. I was a responsible drinker. And so, um, I graduate college, um, mind you, I'd done five years in school because i had transferred and none of my my credits transferred over a weird and so uh, i was done with school um and then it probably wasn't until like maybe 23 24 when i really started drinking um more and trying more different drinks liquor liquor has been my you know liquor has been my my downfall when it came to alcohol um and then it just kind of, it didn't really get bad. I would say I experienced a, a few blackouts, but not to the point where I was like somewhere passed out, you know, and, and, and couldn't remember things, but there were a few times where I was completely awake, you know, and blacked out and couldn't remember how I got home or <laughs> Uh, like one time I left my car downtown and had to go pick it up. It was, you know, and i was so thankful it didn't get towed. It was just, you know, things like that. And, um, but it wasn't until 2016. Um, and I don't know if you've seen part of this, like in the story, my, some of my stories that I share, but my aunt at the time was 49 years old. Um, this was, she was, she was killed, uh, by an impaired driver drive driving, um, she was hit head on and she was actually killed the same day Prince died. So oh that, that date is like something that sticks out. Yeah. Something that sticks out uh, with us. And, um, I and was that date is recently, right? My life. Yeah. Yes. Um, April 21st, 2016. Man. Yeah. I believe it's the 21st. I'd have to double check, but So at this time in my life, I already have two kids. My son is six months old, and I had just recently got accepted to Portland State University's PhD program in community health. Uh, I don't know why I was doing that. Um, It was something that I had applied for the year before, and they accepted me. Um, And I also was going through a divorce. Uh, Left my kids' dad when my son was ten weeks old. Grabbed all, you know, moved me and my kids back home to my parents house was living in a one bedroom sleeping on a twin bed with two kids and then not even six months later my aunt is killed and I'm like trying to start school and you know and so I'm I'm I was in class and you know the the time zone is different from here to Oklahoma it's like two hours behind or two hours ahead So I get a call from my aunt while I'm sitting in class and I just thought it was weird and thought something was wrong that she was calling me and kept calling me and I couldn't answer because I was in class. And then finally I get out of class and I'm like walking down the stairs and I call her back and she's just like, she's crying. And I'm like, what's wrong? What happened? And she's like, um, there's been a car accident and your, uh, your aunt's, your aunt's dead. And I'm like, what? Or she's, she, she died. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? What happened? And she goes, we don't know. She got hit head on and your nephews were in the car with her.
0: And oh my, my nephews God. at the time,
1: I, yeah, I believe they were f- like five and seven or five and six. Um, And she's like, they've been life flighted to OU medical, uh, this hospital in Oklahoma, your nephews, you know, they're, they're alive. They're, they're awake they And i cause that was my first thought was like, did they make it, you know, are they okay? And she's like, yes they're alive they're awake and but you know your aunt apparently she was like killed on the scene um she was wearing a seat belt um and the car that hit her was coming at her they were going around a curve and um somebody had already called the state police like maybe 10 minutes prior to the accident because they were saying they were concerned with the way the driver was driving because he was swerving and crossing the middle the middle lane and they said so he's gonna cause an accident and they actually recorded, turned on their vid turned on their phone and recorded and they had the accident on on, on camera.
0: Oh my um, god.
1: Yeah. So it was Is really, it safe uh, to say
0: like just like a lot of car accidents when someone's drinking was did the driver of the other car end up pretty much being okay or minor injuries like always. Yeah,
1: he had he had minor injuries like always. Uh,
0: L- listen, medical. people, everybody listening to this episode, listening to this recording, because I, I believe that we also have people that haven't necessarily put the drink or the drug down yet. You know, they just have that desire that we have sometimes. And, you know, we can't make anyone stop drinking. That decision is going to come when you're ready. But if you're still out there and you're still using, you're still partying, you're still drinking, you're still drugging, at the very, very least, do everybody around you a favor. Uber, call somebody, do something. I tell people all the time. I tell all my friends, you know, just call me for a ride. Even if, even like, the not even just the responsible ones. Like, people just think that they're okay, and and they're not. And it's never us as the impaired driver that is the person who gets hurt. It's always the other people and it's like it's 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 these stories right here that are absolutely terrible like you have those stories where it's like oh you wrapped your car around your a tree you were okay ha 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 you think it's funny to laugh about with your friends but imagine if that tree was a car with a family in it like we hear about this stuff but a lot of people it doesn't really I think for a lot of people it doesn't really hit home unless it's happened to you or somebody in your family and you think that everybody just come on like it's 2022 Uber is unbelievable. Like, I mean, Lyft is out there. There's so many options like call reach, reach. It's just, there's no need for somebody to be hurt. Cause it's never going to be us. It's going to be that innocent family who just wants to go home and just wants to mind their own business. So please people like, let's, let's try and save some lives on the road.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so yeah, the guy that hit my aunt, um, refused medical attention there on the spot, um, wasn't cooperative. And then, um, you know, there was just, it was just really graphic, the scene itself. Um, she, she was wearing a seatbelt. Um, she was ejected from the driver's seat and her car was just un- unreal that, you know, I'm, I thank God that my nephews survived and are alive today, but if had they had one of them been on the front seat and, you know probably wouldn't be here um but we um so that day you know that that was a hard that was a hard you know that's a traumatic event in my life and I remember um trying to get a hold of my mom and my aunt was telling me I've been calling your mom and she's not answering she's not answering and I'm like where's my mom like normally she answers you know and I just remember I don't even remember how I got home but I just drove home and called my supervisor because I was so upset, and just told her like my aunt's been killed. I don't even remember the conversation I had with her, honestly. Um, but I made it home. My sisters were there. All of our kids were there. I don't even remember why we were all at home because normally, like, we have to plan this in, a, in advance. First, all be home at the same time. And when I say home, I mean my parents' house, you know. So. Um, I go into the house. My dad's, my sisters are sitting on the couch. My dad's outside with all of our kids. And um, I go into the bedroom and my mom's just sitting there and it's dark. She just, she has the blinds down, the the lights are off. And it's just so like unreal. Like even then now, you know, this year, many years later, I can still remember. And I just go in and I'm just like, I'm sorry, mom. You know, I'm sorry. And she's like, normally I have my phone on and normally I have it with me I would have answered and I was like I know I know and so we were literally home the next day we flew home the next day in Oklahoma we went to the crash site and I think for me the part that just pissed me off about the whole accident was the fact that they left like the medical supplies there on the side of the road where she where the accident happened at like we could see her neck brace and it was still had her blood on it. We could see. Oh um, yeah. We could see, Yeah, I mean, like, I'm like, you know, and I'm just like thinking in a way, like, why didn't they pick this up? Why didn't they like clean any of this up for, you know, just out of respect, you know, and like, and I know, you know, like sometimes on the news, you know, or even in, um, you know, like on TV, sometimes they will show the accident. And people get really upset about that. And I was just, you know, thinking, God, why didn't, you know, why couldn't they just pick this stuff up? And we basically were going back just to see if there was any stuff from her car that was, you know, thrown across the road or left in the grass, you know, that, that was, that belonged to her that we wanted to keep and pick up. And my uncle had found her necklace and my cousins had found some stuff from her car and, And when uh, my family had talked to them, because where the accident happened, it was near a, um, a ranch, so like a farmer. So he had, his whole fence was, you know, destroyed. But he came out and he told uh, my parent or he told my grandma, or he told my uncle, like, he told my uncle. Um, yeah, you know, when I, when I walked up, like, there was four people, I saw four people. I saw, you know, her, I saw the two kids, and there was another person here. And we've been trying to find, you know, I told the medics, you know, that there was a fourth person because we saw a fourth person
0: like in your aunt's um, car.
1: Yeah. Like, like with her outside the oh, car wow. standing. Yeah. And so, so we like to think that that was my grandpa. Um, he passed in 2010. Um, you know, so we will we've, we've always felt that, you know, his spirit was with her and at her last moments and that she didn't, you know, go alone. Um, Cause that was one of the things that we had always, you know, I've always wondered, You know, were were you alone? You know, did you not, you know, know, there's just so many questions you have with death, especially when it happens unexpectedly and no tragedy like this has ever happened in our family up until now. So, um, so fast forward to like 2018 and I'm still in my PhD program, still going through this trial um, with the man that this, this guy that, you know, killed my aunt. And he finally was sentenced and he has, he's been in prison now for 10 years. I mean, he's only been in prison maybe four years now. Um, and then when he's released, he has to be on probation for like 30 years. It's some, um, I think it's actually, no, I think it's a 30, 20. I think he's going to do, he was sentenced for 20 years. So the minimum or max, what is that minimum? Spend 10 years and possibly yeah, every, get out. Every, st- every yeah. state
0: is a little different.
1: Yeah. A lot, some
0: states you'll have to do like 50% of your time. And so if he got sentenced to like 20, he might have to spend like a minimum of 10 in before he can go see a parole board.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was, I just remembered the numbers was like 30, 20. So that's I'm assuming we're assuming just 10 years.
0: I mean, so, with there, with there being, with there being kids in the car, he might've been sentenced to 30 years and up for parole in 20 because there was also yeah. with there also being kids in the car, they could have charged him three times. Right. Rightfully
1: yeah, so, did. too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was charged three times. I remember that. Um, so I kind of somehow made it through as a part time student in my Ph.D. program to 2018 and then finally decided, you know, once when once this the trials that kept getting canceled and rescheduled and, you know, all this stuff was over that I decided I was going to finally just take a break from school um, and grieve and mourn like the actual loss of my aunt because I hadn't really done that yet um, and felt like you know my son deserved more of me than what I was giving him because I was you know he was in daycare with my daughter and then I was going I was working full-time and then going to school and then by the time I'd get home you know it's like seven o'clock at night you know and then we'd get up and do this all over again at 6 a.m So I felt guilty in a way, you know, because I wasn't, not only was I not like giving the time that I'd given to my daughter to him, but I was just doing all of these things in my life to keep me busy. So I didn't have to deal with anything. Um, and then I was, um, drinking again, um, didn't really start drinking until after he was about nine months old because I was still breastfeeding at the time. So that was like my whole like, that was the only thing that was keeping me from drinking was breastfeeding. Um, And so I just had this moment where I finally was like, able to like cry and like, you know, grieve and just, you know, I thought life was so fucking unfair and how much I was, uh, how much I just, I didn't hate God, but I just was really, you know, pissed off at him for doing this to our family and like, I was not on, on speaking terms with him at all. I stopped going to church um, because we grew up going to the native American Methodist church. And I quit going with my mom and just, you know, blamed God for a lot of the things that were happening, you know, that had happened to our family. Um, And then. um,
0: I think that that's something that's so easy to do because, you know, even if you're completely faith-based, you grew up your whole life, believing in God, trying to do all the right things, you know, I think for, for a lot of people and, you know, myself included, cause I've experienced death, but nothing that traumatic, but like, I, I can only imagine how hard it is to be able to connect with God and even believe in God. And, and want like after something like that, cause it's like, Oh, you're supposed to protect good people. You're supposed to this and that. And, and like, but then to, to take someone right in front of their children, even if you don't look at it, like from the selfish standpoint, like why'd you take her for me? you can look like even unselfishly, like, why'd you take her from her children with her children mm-hmm. right there? It's like, you mm-hmm. know, why, like, what is your purpose? Like every, they say everything happens for a reason. God has a plan. Nothing is a mistake. Like if you believe all that and it's like, what is your reasoning for this? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and to be honest, obviously I don't have the answer to that part either, but I like to believe that everything is for a reason as, as cruel as that may sound as sad as that may sound, you know, Maybe it was so that way she could look over the rest of your family. Maybe so she could look over her children from up above and always be there for them. And, you know, we don't, I don't, I don't think any of us ever have those, those true answers. We just have our beliefs and what hold us on and try and keep us upright and, and doing the next right thing. But I, I could totally understand, and I'm not even going to pretend to say that like, I can relate. And I don't think any of us can really understand unless they've been through something that traumatic, but I would like to, I would like to say that I understand how someone can fall away from something like that because it, it's just, it's, it's almost inexcusable and it's, it's a pain that no one should ever have to experience.
1: Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, so I just started, you know, getting just, I, I, <clears throat> had a hard time with drinking then and was having started experiencing you know more blackouts um, doing just doing stupid things like like in 2018 I remember getting drunk on my birthday and uh, me and my boyfriend at the time like we got into an argument and I left his house, and he called my dad, and they came looking for me, and I just took off running down the street like an idiot. Um, <laughs> like cut through some apartments, and then ended up on the other side of town, and then they getting the in some of that and- interval training. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the police were called, and they were looking for me, and then I somehow made it all the way back to my parents' house, and woke up the next morning and was still drunk, and was looking for my stuff. Couldn't remember where any of my things were. And it was just, it was just stupid. Like, you know, we go through all those times where we're like, man, what was I thinking? What was I doing? And you know, it's the alcoholism, it's the alcohol part where you can't control it, where you thought you could control it all those times. And you're just letting it, it gets worse and worse and worse. And and so finally, I think it was 2018, um, I had give, I had given it up for like 90 days. Um, and I don't even really remember what the, what the, what, like what my reasoning was behind it. Um, and just picked it back up after 90 days, right where I left off, you know, like we always hear, you know, when people tell their story, like, yeah, I picked up after eight years, right where I left off at, and it was worse, you know, and, and it was, um, but I was still trying to control it. Still trying to only drink on, you know, Fridays and Saturdays. And I wouldn't drink on Christmas Day. I wouldn't drink on Sundays. I wouldn't drink on Easter. I just had all these weird, <laughs> these weird like guidelines when it came to my drinking. Um, and then, then I would dr- then sometimes I would drink Sunday, and then I'd be so hungover on Monday the next day at work. Um, I remember drinking the night before a five k race and how absolutely awful it felt to run hungover and how I almost threw up at the finish line and just how like, how I didn't have any control over it, you know, like not even to race, you know, and then how I would drink after a race, you know, and celebrate at the finish line with a shot or, you know, something dumb like that. Um, And then it wasn't until like, um, so it was really in December. So December twenty seventh, twenty nineteen was Dece- December. December twenty sixth was my last drunk, um, and I did that because I didn't, you know, I just had this. I've always had this weird thing where I never drink on Christmas Eve, never drink Christmas Day. So I decided to drink Christmas um, or the, to the twenty sixth. <laughs> um, I wasn't even with anybody didn't go anywhere I did it all by myself at home my kids went with their went to the weekend you know with their dad and so there I was like a drunk getting drunk at home by myself Um, and remembered getting into a nasty argument with my boyfriend at the time and just saying awful things to him all that jealousy that we hold (laughs) you know all those insecurities that we hold within ourselves all those ugly thoughts that we hold within ourselves and in our mind that come out when we're drunk. And it was just, it was like that. I remember, you know, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was all in text message and I read the next day. And, you know, the next day after you wake up from something you've done the night before, you know, you're either A, embarrassed, (laughs) B, very sorry, and you feel bad. And, you know, you're all of these things. And so I apologize you know and he and just you know we've we had always had this conversation you know like you need to stop drinking because you're you're this other person when you drink and you know I can't put up with it anymore kind of the kind of thing you know like you know like like many couples you know it's like oh yeah I'll give it up you know I'll give it up for 60 days I'll stop drinking for, thir- for a month you know and then we'll be right back in it you know but he didn't drink the way I drink you know and I I didn't recognize that until like later on in my sobriety and so so I decided like I wasn't going to be like everybody else and just give up alcohol on New Year's you know for my New Year's resolution that I was going to stop I'm going to go into the new year I'm going to go into the whole you know the whole 2020 not knowing what the hell was going to happen you know (laughs) not knowing what was going to happen for the whole entire world in 2020 so um I that. I was going to stop drinking and that I was going to only give it up again for only 90 days, because in my mind, you know, that's the longest I've ever gone was 90 days. Um, and I'm going to celebrate after my first half marathon of 2020, that was my plan. That was the goal. I'm going to train and I'm going to see how well I can run, you know, without drinking and how, how much better of a runner I can become without alcohol. Um, so start training, Um, and oh yeah, I forgot to share. I was like 30 pounds heavier than what I am now. Um, I had a bad diet, uh, bad, you know, alcohol, everything. And so going into 2020, um, I was doing really well and then decided that I wanted to change my diet. Um, and this was like in February. So this was literally like two weeks before the whole world was like shut down. And, um, so I gave up soda, like, cause I'd always been a pop drinker, um, all my life, you know? <laughs> so I gave up pop as my, um, new year's resolution and then started, this is, and now this is when they started coming out with like Coke zero and Dr. Pepper zero and all these zero drinks. And so I switched to that. Um, And then changed my diet in February. So my body was like going through all these like change. Like I wasn't drinking alcohol. I was not drinking soda anymore. I changed my diet. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't having sweets. And like, I have a sweet tooth for cookies and donuts. Like I'll blow my diet for a donut or candy. (laughs) You know, I wonder (laughs) where Eddie gets it from. (laughs) Exactly. Have you ever, have you ever cried for a donut? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah so my body's like like what are you doing like so I had headaches you know like just the craving of like the sugar you know like was finally like my body was finally adjusting and then the freaking pandemic happens and of course you know right away like every like all the runners in the world I'm like oh my god is my race you know, we're checking our checking our calendar checking the the websites for races and making sure you know oh maybe they're just going to get rescheduled and I know we're all canceled.
0: hoping. It, yeah, they're 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 canceling every marathon out there. But maybe the one that I'm running is still going to be good.
1: Like, yeah, <laughs> we're so
0: bad. We're so yeah. bad. And we're all thinking too. But but we're outside. We'll be fine. And it's like you know, and 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 we're all guilty of that. Not thinking of the big picture. Not not mm-hmm. realizing how serious things we're going to get. We're all just like, we'll be okay. We're outside. And once we start running, we won't be on top of each other. And you know, we're, we're all guilty of it, but it was, man, it was, it, we, we all, we were all doing that search every single, I know I was one of them. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I had just missed the LA marathon cause I was injured and I was coming back from a broken ankle but like I was signed up for other stuff in like April and May as like coming back from my physical therapy. And I remember like looking every single day, like, is it canceled yet? Yep. Now it's canceled. And it's like, are you being rescheduled? And everybody's saying this, we'll let you know, we'll let you know. And I just so mad because the world revolves around Miguel. And as long as you know, (laughs) as long as I'm okay, everything is going to be good. Just let Migs run his race. Like it's no big deal, but Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. You were definitely not the only one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So my race gets canceled for the one I was training for the one I was to celebrate for after, you know, my half marathon, my, this would have been my second half marathon ever in my life in 20, 2020, um, so I continued to train and they didn't just cancel it. They decided to make it virtual. So go run it on your own and you have, you know, 90 days or 60 days to run it. So I was like, all right, well, we'll stick to this. Let's, you know, it's been, it's been 90 days, like. See if I can make it, you know, another another month. And then I had actually signed up for a second marathon, and it was supposed to happen in June. So I was like, oh, we'll just push my cell, you know, my celebration out to June, you know, and this will be the farthest I've ever gone without drinking, you know, and my running is, you know, I'm finally like it was getting better and my time was getting better. And so
0: and again, the I shutdown's my... only gonna be for two weeks or maybe a month. We'll definitely <laughs> be good by June. Exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And, um, I also have friends who are in recovery. One of my best friends that I actually played college ball with, she's, um, she just celebrated her. She's at three and a half years, I believe. And at that time she just hit a year and she was always asking me like, Oh, like, do you want a coin? And, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of you for doing this. And I'm like, well, I'm really not looking for this to be like a permanent thing, you know, and I don't want to accept something that's that I'm just going to have to start all over again, you know, and and have to earn. And I'm She's like, Well, are you sure? She's like, this is this a big deal? And I was like, No, like I'm good. It's only been three months. Like, this isn't the one that was I showing get- up
0: late and, and responsible for suicides, was it?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. No, <laughs> somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally somebody else. Um, so I told her, I was like, Yeah, let's just wait till like let's wait till June, because at least that's six months, that's half a year, you know, and then I can really decide if you know, like this is if this life is for me, you know, and so. <laughs> So, um, so I told her, let's wait till June. So I did run my virtual half marathon in the month of May, my second one. And I totally didn't follow a plan. Didn't, uh, know anything about, I was just, you know, running to run and, um, did it at like 10 o'clock in the morning and 70 degrees. And by the time I was done, it was like 80 and I was dead. I was dying. I ran by myself. The only thing I did was turn on my location. So my mom knew where I was at, if something happened to me Uh, or, you know, if if anything happened or if she had to come pick me up and I just had like 16 ounces of water and, and, you know, I know, you know, I know now, you know, fast forward two years, like how much water to drink, when, and, you know, when to fuel and all that stuff. And I just was like still beginner Um, and I made it home and got to the house. I sat down and I rested. It was literally like an hour had passed by even eight. And I decided, oh, I'm going to go take a shower, you know, and none of my kids are here. Um, They're all up at grandma's house and I'm in the shower and I'm just like, oh my God, I feel sick. Like instantly, as soon as the water like hit my skin and I take hot showers. So if that gives you any kind of yeah. idea of what happened next <laughs> uh you know I'm like oh man like I feel really gross like I think I'm gonna throw up you know I, I just kept getting this weird nauseated feeling and then all of a sudden everything like starts to go black like and it just gets smaller and smaller and I'm trying to grab the rail in the bat in the shower and I passed out in the shower oh. I hit my chin like on the oh. corner and I just remembered laying there and like feeling the water on me. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't get up. Like, I felt like I couldn't move. I felt like at first I felt like I couldn't move, felt like I couldn't get up. So I, so I pull myself up, still have soap in my hair, turn off the shower. And I like, like hobble to my bed and I lay down and I'm just laying here and I'm like, what the hell happened? Because I've never passed out in my life, ever. This is the first time i would ever passed out.
0: Even with the drinking.
1: Yeah, even with (laughs) it, right? (laughs) <laughs> like that and um so I t- so texted my friend the one that was telling you know that I'm telling you about that was in recovery and was asking me about the coins she's like um, that's not normal like you need to go to the ER and I was like no I think I'm okay like I feel okay now and she's like no that's that's not normal That's not a normal thing you won't pass out after you know, racing and stuff she's like you really should go to the ER and I'm like all right so I told my boyfriend come pick me up like this just happened and he's like what happened what were you doing you know And I was like, I don't know, I just got in the shower and like, you know, I take a hot shower all the time and so they took me to the ER and it was like some weird diagnosis from like the the temperature of my body was trying to like regulate itself again and then getting in the hot shower just like made it worse. And so I've never heard of that. Was that
0: like a, is that like a borderline like heat stroke type thing?
1: Um, they called it something. Oh, I can't even think of the name. It was like a weird name, but it was just the. Yeah, kind of like almost like heat stroke or um, what's heat? Um, what's the other word? Um, where I was just so like hot, my body was still hot, but it was trying to cool down. And then as I got in the shower, and the heat hit me again, just like gave shock? me that na- Yeah, like nauseated, uh, but I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, I've never heard I of that nauseated. happening to anyone. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's it got to be scary too. <laughs> yeah it was because I'd never passed down in my life uh and luckily I didn't fall forward and hit on the like um I fell I fell the other way because I didn't fall forward because they, they were worried that I could have hit my face on the the drain you know and like the like all of that and
0: yeah for sure I was
1: like yeah I was like no I'm like luckily turning the other way you know but um so I learned my lesson you know don't shower See, for me after. I would have been thinking
0: I would have been like <laughs> you know what all these times I got drunk and took a shower. I never felt like this. I do one race (laughs) and it like running is too dangerous. I'm just going back to drinking like the hell with this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, um, at this time also in my life, I've got two friends that are in recovery. I've seen their sobriety and I've seen their recovery and I just thought, wow. And they're single moms. They were single moms. And, just thought, wow, you know, like, how can they get through life without, <laughs> how can they get through their day without wanting to drink, you know, but their, but their use wasn't alcoholism. It was drug use. So total, I mean, and we would have conversations, you know, I'd be like, well, how can you guys just can't have a drink with me? Cause I didn't understand, you know, like I didn't understand the whole recovery and sobriety thing back then. Now, I didn't correct understand me if I'm wrong, that real then, quick,
0: But it seemed at, at least from what I'm gathering from your story, at least at this point, like you're you're just like a cold turkey, not drinking, like you're not you're not working a program, you're not going into any rooms, you're not doing anything. It seems like you have you have friends in the recovery network that like from what I'm gathering with the whole getting a coin and whatnot, like they may or may not be 12-steppers and they may be in the rooms, but you're not. You have people that you can talk to, you have people that you can network with, but you don't have a program yourself you're doing, you're just You're just not drinking and you're just trying to, you're just trying to figure things out on your own. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: Very correct. Yep. Just cold Turkey. And they were, you know, and I watched them in their first year and I just thought how amazing it was that they could, you know, go a day, you know, in my opinion, not drink because that was my, my issue was the drinking every time something got stressful with my kids, I'd have a drink, um, and they're like, no, we can't drink. Like, this is part of our recovery. It means, you know, no drinking too. And, and then my friend shared with me, she's like, and if I was to drink, she's like, that's my gateway drug, um, to wanting to use. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that. I thought like I was just dumb. I just thought like, oh, I thought if you just had a drug problem, you didn't have an alcohol problem. And I thought, you know, like if you gave up drugs that you could drink too. And they're like, no, like, and I was like, oh, okay. I get it now. Like I, I was starting to understand. Um. So at this time also I was um I've been amount I've been a part-time instructor at our local community college since 2018 as well. And I started teaching classes on alcohol and drugs, alcohol in the family, personal health, women's health. And the alcohol and drug class that I that I was introduced to and taught from the very beginning. And now this is my third year teaching it. Um really changed my life really was really part of the process and my journey um I was teaching this class in 2020 and everything went online and I bring in a speaker um who shares his story of the day that he also chose to drink and drive and he took the life of a mother and her two children and this story was so yeah and so like during my like whole grieving and mourning I had to bring this guy into my class, you know, and listen to the story. And I was crying. I was so upset. And, you know, I, I was mad at him for what he did. because. This did you was know just that he, this is what he family.
0: did? You know, this was part of his story and what he was going to be sharing before he started doing it? Or were you just he, hearing this all as it was going?
1: Um, I only knew that I chose to drink and drive And that he had killed three people. I did not know his story until he came to my class. Yeah, until he came to my class and spoke in front of my entire class.
0: That's got to hit even different to find out that it's a mother and two children because that's just so close to home for you.
1: It was, and this was one of the other God shots that I didn't know about until until I was in the program. And so I invited him back the next year. Uh, so he really he did it in 2019. And then he came back and did it in 2020. And then um, each time he told his story, it was just like, wow, like, um, you know, I wasn't I didn't have those same feelings of of hate and resentment. And I didn't feel any toward any way towards him, except that he's a person who made a bad de- decision. He made a bad choice um and you know bad things happen to good people you know like what happened in our family and so after the very first time he spoke to my class I talked to him afterward and told him exactly what had happened to our family just two years before and he was just like you know I'm, I'm really sorry you know and just know that this person you know is gonna have to live with this just like I have to live with mine you know what I chose and and we just had this moment and Um, then fast forward to like these last two years that he's been talking to my class and doing these. We do a Zoom because we're still online learning, but um, every time he's told his story, there's just something that comes out that resonates with me that didn't have that didn't that he didn't share the year before. And this last time, you know, um, being sober, being being in and hearing his story, you know, with a clear mind and, and everything. He talked about, you know, towards the end of the story, how, <clears throat> how after 25 years, the sister of the, of the mother, you know, that Yay. he killed, she came forward to him, um, during the VIP, um, statement. Cause he does VIP, um, statements to, to DUI drivers. He sits on a panel and she came to one of them and just said, like, like, I forgive you. She forgave him after all these years and like, they hugged and. And she just said, and you know, because of you, I had to, I had to give up schooling, I couldn't finish my college degree. And I just want you to know that I graduated last year. And I was just like, wow, like, it was just such a moment for me. And then I thought, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to hate this person who killed my aunt. I don't, you know, I hope he can be reformed. I hope he can turn out just like you. I hope that he can, you know, be remorseful and you know want to make you know just be at peace and and maybe same with me be at peace with the whole thing that happened but um one of the so I did write a VIP letter that was read by my cousin when they were in in the trial and one the only thing that I requested from him was an apology I wanted him to apologize to me uh, because he took the best aunt, the best grandmother that there could have ever been for all of our kids and how she never got to meet my son, my, my son, Eddie. Um, cause I was, cause I had just, um, I had had him and we were supposed to fly home in that in June of 2016, so she could meet my son. And, you know, I just told him like, I hope that, you know, you can, I want an apology from you. I want you to write me a letter and, you know, like I've, you know, and, you know, at that, at that moment in time, you know, I'm still upset, you know, I'm still angry. I'm still mad. I'm, I'm hateful towards this man that killed, you know, that took my aunt that took her away from us. And so maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not now, I don't know, you know, maybe one day, I mean, he has our address, you know, maybe one day he will make an amends, you know, or or there's been no response yet, but there's been no response to
0: anybody in the Uh, family
1: no to nobody
0: man this is this is crazy. i i've i've gotten very emotional i've even cried a few times sharing my story on different podcasts especially when i talk about my son but i i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm like pretty sure that this is the first time that the guest has ever made me like damn near cry like this is just it's oh man i'm like getting chills hearing the story because this is also something i was like waiting until you got deeper into your recovery to ask if there had been any communication with him. And then who knows, I definitely didn't expect it coming that this like you're going to be like meeting with someone as well, who is like pretty much done the same thing to another family. Um, I was also going to ask, have you or anybody in your family considered going to visit him for some face-to-face contact to maybe see if you can get that closure
1: um, no, I think, um, my cousin who, you know, whose kids were in the car with my aunt, the ones that survived, she's been the only one that has actually, I think talked to his mom, um, cause they, her, she was very remorseful when they were in court. And, um, I think they even hugged afterward and she apologized on his behalf, but in, there was, I don't really think there was ever really an apology except for, you know, I'm sorry for what I did kind of thing. Um, but I would have to probably ask my cousin about that because she's more, um, she follows him every time they would move him in the jail to a different location. She would follow him and she would she knows what prison he's at. And I'd have to ask her. I don't know if I'd be You said this is that. the cousin
0: that was in the car?
1: No, no, no. Her kids. Uh,
0: oh, okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. So it was my cousin's children that were in the car with my aunt.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah. okay all right i was yeah. I was like wait because I'm, I'm like trying to do the math here and i'm like all right this is like a seven-year-old at the time so she's like nine or ten keeping up with all of this or all right that makes a little no. bit but man yeah. that's that's just like and and you know i don't know how the system is out there too like he might he could easily reject the visit but like uh and i'm no therapist and i mean i could be just completely talking out of my ass when i say this too but like There might there might be some type of closure by going to to visit in person. And maybe I've just seen too many movies and TV shows, you know, Mm -hmm. where where that kind of stuff happens. But you never know. But I would like to think and by no means am I defending this guy whatsoever. But I would like to think that, you know, if he had some type of alcohol problem or or drug problem or whatever the case may be, would like to think and hope and pray that he's at least working some type of program inside there and that he is remorseful and that he's not just, you know, playing the whole, cause we've done this too with the drinking, like the victim role, like, you know, is, well, you know, may, that, that turn was too tight or why is the speed limit this or that, or why did that animal run out mm-hmm. in front of my car? Just trying to find everything else to blame where it wasn't our fault. Hopefully he's at mm-hmm. least, To himself, even if it's only to himself, hopefully he's at least accepting responsibility, understands what he did, and hopefully is at least growing towards, you know, trying to become a better person, because you you never know, maybe, maybe this guy, 20, 25 years from now, will be the one trying to help someone else, and prevent this from happening to someone else, and it's, it's still going to be sad, and it's still going to hurt for your family, and, you know, but at least, it'll give you the opportunity to see change and and to hopefully you know cuz even if it prevents just like with every one of these interviews if it helps one person if it saves one person then everything we're doing is worth it everything and you know and and, and again looking back if 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 you want to get spiritual and you want to try and really really try and look down down the road and try and find the any 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 greener pastors maybe that's what this was the whole intention was there is for him to become a better person and to then save somebody else to save that next family you know because maybe there's one person that hears that story and is not done drinking and goes to the bar and is about to get in their car and be like nah I just heard what this guy just said. let me just call an uber let me just let me just sleep in the back seat of my car and and you never know maybe there's a family driving down the road that night and they get to go home safely because of that so you mm-hmm. know it's 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 a lot of ifs and what ifs and maybes, but we, we never know. We, we really never know. It's just something at least for myself that I just, I like to think that some of these things are hopefully happening so that way we can just continue to help each other and continue to grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I even shared that with the presenter who came to my class, you know, I said, I really hope that this man, you know, goes down the right path while he's incarcerated and, and hopefully can come out like you, you know, and be reformed and can share his story and change someone's life, you know, and, and, um, so it was at this, this at this time, you know, that I'm teaching this class and sharing the story. And, and then I decided, you know, that I'm going to go further with it and share the pictures of my aunt's car. And I'm going to share the story of what happened. And I just, part of me, that was part of my healing and mourning process. Um, and I was able to do it and I was just so nervous you know because I wanted to share both you know like share his story and then I wanted to share you know like this is what happens this is what I showed her before and after of her car um, and my students were just like oh my god like how did the you know how did your nephew survive and stuff you know I was like you know, by the grace of God, you know, there was a, there, the, that, that rancher's claiming there was a fourth person there. You know, we believe it was my grandpa protecting them too. Um, so, um, so it was at this time where I had my, what we call spiritual awakening, my revelation of that, you know, I, I wanted to give up alcohol for the rest of my life and that I could do it moving forward. I was only at month four. Um, this was, and it happened in April, of 2020. And my friends had been, you know, saying you should come join this meeting, you should come join this NA meeting. And, you know, and for the class and teaching, we talk about NA and AA and um, Al- Al-Anon. And I was like, sure, you know, and I was just kind of messing around with, you know, joining meetings and stuff all online. because I, I wanted to have the understanding and the experience of what this truly meant now, because I'm sober. And So I joined these groups and then I just had this moment, this clarity of this moment of like, you know, like, wow, like my daughter's in first grade, I was in first grade and I remember my dad drinking, you know, from the time I I was in first grade up to fourth grade and my son, he's little, he's, you know, he's, they've never seen me drunk and I would love to, to keep it that way. And. I just decided that, you know, like this is where it stops. It stops with me and it changes here. And I change the direction of this life that my kids can experience and have with me as their mother and see the things that I do and how they're going to look back and, you know, have these memories of me being there at their sports and and not remember me being drunk or ever seeing me drunk or me fighting with my boyfriend or me fighting with their dad, you know, and. And so I just had that moment where I was just like, Oh my God, like I'm going to, you know, like I just had this moment of, I'm going to, it stops here. I change the direction. I change, I see the seven generations, which is, um, in our culture, my kids, my children's grandchildren's grandchildren. So like, it goes down seven generations and, um, And so I join. I join a group. I find a home group, and it's all online. And I continue to go. And then I find a sponsor. And um, right before my one year, I think it was like October twenty twenty, got a sponsor, and she's still my sponsor today. And my home group meets every week now um, on Thursdays. We just started meeting maybe uh, almost a year ago now. No, I think it was back in the summertime. And I do online meetings. I at least do twice a week. So I've been totally working the program. <laughs> and um, look um, at
0: Bertie hitting those 12 <laughs> steps.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. And I accepted my six month coin. My friend did oh, a celebration man. for me. I love I that. Ce- I love that. Yep. Yep. And now I'm almost at two and a half years. And throughout this whole process, which I don't know I'm not sure if you know but um my younger sister um watched me go from drinking and and, then saw me you know make my make my change go down my journey and she just sat back and watched and then had a really hard time when the pandemic happened too and she struggled like many people did um And then she just came to me, um, October 19th, 2020. And she said, I'm done drinking. I need your help. Wow. Yeah. And this part, um, about my whole journey, like this is the most emotional part for me because, because you don't know when people are watching, you know? You never know when you're going to change someone's life. And you never know the effect you have on someone. And I never knew my sister was struggling. I never knew that she was having such a hard time during the pandemic. And I went over there that day and she was, I was, I had to watch her because I was so scared. I didn't know if she was going to have withdrawals. I didn't know, you know. I, I knew her drinking was bad. I didn't know how bad it was until I got to her apartment, and there was bottles of liquor, bottles of you know whiskey. And you know, I wasn't triggered. I wasn't triggered by any of that. I cleaned up her. Me- I cleaned up her stuff. I dumped it out. I got rid of everything. I took it to the trash. And she was just hurting. She was couldn't eat. She was. You know, she was just sick and nauseated, and I just had to watch her for, for like a month. And this is the part of my sobriety that means more to me than my own sobriety is my sister's sobriety. Oh my and God. she just celebrated, she just celebrated a year and a half. After.
0: God bless her. I love yep. it. What's her name? Can we say her name? Her name's Lee. Lee. Shout out Lee. Yep. Oh man. And, and the hair comes to tears. I'm going to have to put a disclaimer in the notes of this episode, like no driving while listening to this episode. Cause you will not be able to keep your eyes dry and you won't be able to see the road. This is, this is going to be a dangerous one to drive to. Oh man. This is, you, you got me, <laughs> you got me going. Yeah, Shout out Lee. Oh man. Your, your big sister is definitely proud of you and, and look at the impact that you have on her And man, if there was, if there was ever a question on how much your sobriety clearly means to her and to others, here's, here's your proof right here, man. Yep. So
1: fast forward and here we are, you know, and, um, I completed my second, I ran my very first marathon, you know, sober (laughs) in October of 2021 as the Portland marathon, and then decided in December that I was going to run the Oklahoma city marathon, uh, this past April, right. Cause that's where all my family's from. And my grandparents are 87 years old and they just said they wanted to see me run, you know, and be there and be present. So I chose to do that. And, um, I didn't beat my time.
0: I, I mean, I got,
1: I mean, I've only ran two marathons in my whole life and I was the only thing I have to compare it to, um, You're a grinder though.
0: You're putting in that, you're absolutely putting in that work. Absolutely. I remember too, you did uh, I don't remember what distance you chose, but I remember you participated in the um the inaugural like Odat OMAT that we did in January of 2021. I don't remember what distance you chose. I want to say maybe 10K. Yeah, it was the 10K. But, but yeah, I mean, look at yeah. you're you're a savage, you're a beast.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's part of part of my sobriety plays a huge part you know it got running got me through mourning got me through grief got me through my divorce and then um, you know has definitely helped me with my running in in every way Um, and and then even as it relates with my life you know mentally and spiritually and physically obviously Um, so yeah like it's just that you know there was just those moments in time but yeah it's it's true exactly what you say you don't you don't know who you have an effect on and you don't know who's watching you don't know who's like just sitting in the background not not thinking you know maybe wondering oh I could give up alcohol for a little bit you know and or maybe I could do it you know maybe I could maybe this could be a life-changing thing that I try you know and so basically I have to do the program, and now I understand how it works, and, um, and, you know, forgiveness is a big thing, you know, I hope I'm able to forgive the man who killed my aunt one of these days, you know, I don't, I don't hate him anymore, at least I don't hate him anymore, and I'm not resentful, and I'm, and I'm not, and I'm, and I'm not hateful towards God anymore, my creator, Um, all I know is that he was there with me when I was, um, you know, not on speaking terms with him. He walked on that path with me and he stayed with me all through my sobriety and in the very beginning, you know, and he showed me these things of what I could be and the kind of life I could have. And it's just been all worthwhile since then.
0: So I love it. And yeah. you're out, you're out doing amazing things with the running too. Like I said, I remember the Oda OMAT, I remember the picture that you took to um you like stopped i think it was like a like a sign at like a community college or a local college or a school or something i remember you like standing at the at the sign taking the picture there and then like keep keep going and it was just you've you've been someone that like in the group i've really really enjoyed following you from immediately when you joined i think you joined a few months before that so it was definitely inside of the first year and mm-hmm. you participated in that and then I remember reaching out to you shortly afterwards and you know sometime in like maybe springtime of 2021 maybe even around this time maybe about a year or so ago and asking you if you wanted to be on the podcast and I remember it was actually and we talked about this too before we started recording I had seen a couple episodes of like the missing and murdered indigenous women and all of that and like I seen a couple like I don't want to say documentaries, but like I was watching an episode of like true crime. And then I saw something else and it was like something that was like, I was seeing a decent amount of it at the time. And I think around the, around that time, maybe because it was May, maybe this is why it's all registering with me, but you, you brought up about on your personal page, uh, you were like talking about like the awareness behind it and whatnot. And I was like, man, I really love following what you're doing with the running and the training. And like, I would love to get you on the podcast. And And uh, at first you were like, yeah, I'll do it. And then a little bit of time went by and I was like, hey, do you want to schedule yet? And you were like, I will. And then a little bit more time went by and you were like, all right, maybe, maybe not yet. I need some more time. And listen, I'll, I'll be honest. There was a part of me, and this is just how my brain works. And I hate it sometimes. Like there was a part of me that was thinking like, oh no, I hope that she didn't like go back out and she just doesn't want to say anything yet you know what I mean? Cause it's, it's a fear of mine. I mean, we're all in recovery. You never know. Sometimes I think we're scared to admit when we made that mistake sometimes. And especially in the group, we've seen people relapse and, and have to go out and do that field research many of times. And I just remember thinking like, all right, cool. Like, I just want to make sure that she knows that I'm even if not for the podcast, that she knows that I'm here for her as a person, if she ever needs to talk. And, you know, I've tried to express that to you too. And if you ever need anything, just reach out, talk mm-hmm. and, whatever and it was just fun to continue watching your journey throughout there and then fast forward a little bit more and then it's like you're training for another race and we were talking like I think like a week or two before you were getting ready to do your last marathon and I had to I had to shoot my shot again and I was like can we get you on the podcast are you ready yet and you were like yeah let's do it and super excited as soon as you scheduled I was like because this is one that I've been I've been trying to lock this in for over a year now. I've been really excited to get you in here, to get a chance to talk to you, because I knew your story was going to have a lot of stuff. I had no idea. And you had mentioned, too, you even told me that day that we were talking about the race uh, when you were getting ready for it. Uh, I think your your aunt's uh, date had, I think it was just coming up or had just passed. It was right around that time, because I remember you saying, like, this is – this is a really rough date for me. And this is really tough. And you mentioned your aunt passed and I never, I didn't ask how or why or anything like that, but to hear now how crazy and, and traumatizing that story is, you know, the, the date of any family member passing is going to be a lot, but to hear that, man, I, I can only imagine how much that is for you. Like I'd probably go out on runs on that date and I'd, I'd probably be crying so much with emotion that like I'd come home and I'd, I'd look like I was just sweating out of my run. But just to get all that emotion out uh, and, and, you know, that's one gift, at least for myself, that that running really gives is when you're stressed out, when you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're sad, whenever any of those emotions are going, at least for me, I can go out for a run. And I can try and work through those emotions rather than doing what I used to do and just picking up a drink and just numbing them and making them all completely go away because they don't go away that time. They just, they disappear for a little bit. they hide in the back and then you're sober and they come back and you have to deal with them. But at least when you stay sober and you work through them, it's something that like you can, that's what you're doing. You're working through them and you can at least figure that out. Is that kind of some of the relief that you get when you're running as well?
1: Oh, yes, for sure. 100%. Yep exactly everything you described is exactly how I feel when I can just get out and run and my my boyfriend and my parents are just like okay like go do your run I'm like yes this is my alone time like no one can be with me I don't even want to you know like engage <laughs> um, I listen to music sometimes all the time and it's just it's just so like relaxing you know and it's so just it just it's relief for me. Um, even if my run is, even if I'm not running hard and I'm just running, you know, um, but yes, everything that you describe is exactly what running has done for
0: me. Nice. So now that you got that, uh, that your most recent marathon under your belt, um, know I reached out to you a few days after and you said you were starting to feel a little bit better. And I think you even getting in some recovery runs, what kind of, uh, what kind of mileage are you back up to and what's, what's on the menu next? You already have your next race booked. What's, what are we doing? What's going on? <laughs>
1: yeah. So because you know, the competitor in me, um, I was not happy with my time at Oklahoma city marathon. Um, it's really hard. And I don't know if you agree. With an acclimate to the weather. Oh, you cut then, out there for a
0: second. What, if I agree with what?
1: Oh, if, if it's, um, hard to fly to another state, acclimate to their weather and then run a race in in a different climate that you're not used
0: to. (laughs) See, it'd be hard for me to answer that because I've never, I've never traveled. Like I've never flown anywhere for a race. The most traveling I've ever done is when I ran a race in Ohio for my third sober birthday last year. Um, but really all that was, was like, a six hour drive West. I mean, the weather is ideally pretty much what we were getting at home. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, it was a hot race, but it was nothing worse than what we get. And also me on the East coast, the humidity is just absolutely disgusting. So, I mean, the further West I get, it's probably, the temperatures might be physically higher the number, but the humidity is nothing like what it is on the east coast. So the the more and more west I would go, the humidity would be a little bit less. So it's, it's hard for me to answer that. However, from all the running podcasts I listen to and everything, um, one thing that I've heard in common, especially, I don't, I don't know the elevation status or anything of where you were going. But one thing that seems to be in common is when you're traveling from one place to another where the elevation is going to have a drastic change, especially when you're going higher in elevation. If you're going lower in elevation, it's not as big of a deal because you trained in higher and so your body can easily accommodate. It's almost like it's like making it easier for you. But if you're going into higher elevation or if you're going into higher heat or temperatures that you're not used to they definitely suggest trying if, if you're able to, I mean, life is life, but if you're able to around work and whatnot to get out there as soon as possible, as early as possible to get in a few runs and a few shakeout runs to let your body acclimate to that weather. Like I know one big thing is like when people go run races, like a Leadville is a huge race and I think Colorado and like the elevation is just, it's disgusting in Colorado. And so they say like, if you're coming from somewhere else, if you can to get to Leadville like two weeks early because it takes your body a week or so just to get used to it and uh, if you go out there a few days before the race I mean you're going to spend the entire race just miserable and your body's not even used to it and you pretty much wasted all of your training because you didn't get your true efforts so with that being said I I would say that ideally you probably want to go if the weather's going to be a lot different you probably want to try and get out there as soon as possible but I mean there's also life we have we have children we have work and we can't all just go out somewhere 2 weeks early and just enjoy it as a vacation you know so it's it's tough to really yeah. to really get all of that out of it but you know it's that, that's a that's a tough one so I know that was like a a very long tangent and rant I went on but um yeah it's <laughs> that's that would kind of be like my advice or or feedback on that situation
1: Yeah yeah, this was my first out-of-town race and, you know, the the weather in Oklahoma at this time is, you know, tornado weather, so we actually had a tornado warning um, like nine hours before the race and we had to like shelter and it was, we could see it spinning and, you know, it, it didn't touch down luckily where we were at, but the alarms went off and everything and my kids we're freaking out, and I was, and of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, "Oh my God, what if they cancel the race tomorrow?" And I flew down here <laughs> for this,
0: you know. Course, and again, that's how <laughs> we think.
1: Their website. Yeah. No, let me so, let me ask. But you luckily.
0: This. They, no, I was. Oh, go ahead. Finish first.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, luckily they they didn't cancel the race. They pushed it forward one more hour, so instead of running at 6 a.m., we ran at 7. Okay. Um, but the weather the weather, of course, was windy. Uh, I was, I was concerned about humidity. It wasn't humid, but it was windy. I had never, I had not run in wet weather this windy before. Um, And it was a little cold, but not too bad. Um, But yeah, that was my only, that was the only issue.
0: (laughs) Now, if you, if you're running in a tornado warning and the tornado comes, if a tornado picks you up, And moves you five miles down the course and safely puts you down. Is that a PR? No,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I I would take it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm not saying anything. I'm like, you know what? My Garmin says that I got five. How did you run five (laughs) miles in 25 seconds? (laughs) listen exactly the the watch don't lie the watch don't lie they say that we're not allowed to use uh bikes vehicles or any of that stuff i don't know any any uh rules that say like a tornado isn't allowed (laughs) to pick you up and get you there so you know it's maybe that's just mother nature being like hey let me throw you a bone here real quick
1: (laughs) right yep true
0: oh man uh what kind of shoes are you running in these days
1: um i'm I started in the Brooks 19 or the 18s. And then now I'm in the 19s and I got like five different pair of the Brooks. The,
0: the Glycerin Glycerins? 19s. Okay. Yeah.
1: Glycerin nineteens.
0: Yeah. I remember seeing um, a couple pictures. I was pretty sure that's what you were in.
1: Yeah. And I already, uh, text or texted, uh, sent a message to Brooks on, on Instagram and they're not dropping the twenties until July. So
0: tons of bitches.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. So and, but yeah, uh, you were asking about my races. You were asking about what, what I have. Coming yeah, up. Yeah, what's, what what's next? I'm at. So I decided because I was not happy with my, my Oklahoma City Marathon that I'm going to run a local marathon. And it's on 4th of July. Uh, it's called the Suave Flat. Uh, it's put on by Foot Traffic, um, which is a running store here in Oregon. And, um, so I'm training for that, but before that there's the grateful dad, uh, on father's day, the day before father's day, I'm okay. doing a half marathon. So my mileage right now, I did 12 miles last night. Um, uh, my next mileage will be 18 an 18 miler next weekend. So totally looking forward to that.
0: <laughs> I, I will say, uh, with the, with the race in July. And again, I don't necessarily know how the weather is there, or what your training is going to be for, but. I, at least speaking for myself, uh, you're gonna have to put in some extra hard training if you want to PR a race in July. Again, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about where you are, but I know out here, again with mm-hmm. that disgusting humidity, like to be able to to be able to PR a race in July, you have to work beyond hard because it's just the the humidity is just gonna it's gonna slow you down. Uh, you're gonna have to make sure that and, and also too, there's the the legitimate like dangers of you have to make sure you're hydrating properly and up until yeah. the race and all of that stuff and it's it's just it's a different ball game. Uh, like me me specifically, like I like to do like all of my hard training in the summer and deal with all that suck suck, suck and all those miserable hot disgusting runs. Because then when you run the race in September or October, again, it's like going from training in Denver and then going down to like Oklahoma or something or Chicago where it's like all flat and no elevation. It's like mm-hmm. cheat code unlocked because you went through all of that disgusting heat, all the nasty stuff. And then when it's September, you've been doing all of your 15, 20 mile runs in 85, 90 degrees with 95% humidity. And now cool. Give me 60 degrees and, and 40% humidity. It's like, it almost feels easier. And so yeah, just be, yeah. just be careful with like, you know, don't beat yourself up if you don't PR, cause you got to remember too. It's like, and my coach actually has like an exact method on like how many seconds it's like, like, a, I don't want to say maybe like the handicap is the word I'm looking for, but like kind of like the way you should like, uh, equate yourself to like summer running versus like spring running and fall running. And like how many, she has like this whole method on like how many seconds per mile, like when you're, when you're cutting weight, I think it's Mm -hmm. like two, two seconds when you're, when you're referring to a marathon, I think it's like two seconds per mile per pound when you're, Mm -hmm. when you're trying to lose weight and get in shape. And then there's also like a, a formula for like the temperature and the degrees. So just just things to keep in mind. Don't beat yourself up. If you don't get it there, just, you know, but most importantly, just stay healthy with the, with the training and make sure you're hydrating properly. And I know you've had some, um, some comedic relief too, on some of your runs recently. I don't know if you know where this is going, but, um, I, I don't know if this is just the way your body is or, or if you're eating too close to your runs, but man, you've had, you've had some close calls. You, you're going to end up. You're going to end up uh, fertilizing someone's garden. One of these runs.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I really think it's, I, I think it comes down to the chews that I'm, that I'm trying out. I think I'm uh, going to, okay. I'm going to go with uh, through your guts. Yes, exactly. Um, and I've tried different, two different kinds. I'm going to try um, like the goo and see if that does anything for me. Um,
0: what brand are you using try- right now?
1: Well, I was using the cliff blocks and then I tried honey stinger and honey stinger did the same thing to me. Um, but I'm going to try goo the gels and see, see how those work.
0: I'll send you a couple pictures of some stuff that I use. Uh, one that I use is I think it's called sis SIS. It's like system in science or science in something, but they make different flavored gels and they're very, very easy. They're not, um, they're not like too thick. Like you don't have to take them with water. They're really good. They just like pop back. They go right down. Sometimes when I'm running in the summer, I'll even put them in the freezer, uh, like the night before. And I take them out frozen. So when you're running in the heat, like an hour into your run, like you get like a nice, like frosty whatnot. So they just like they pop right down and it's really, really nice. Uh, I've also done, uh, I don't know which honey stingers you use, but I did the, the honey stinger gummies. Like, Okay. I haven't tried those and those haven't really given me too many issues. And then my, my coach Alicia, who, um, is is an absolute savage. She, uh, she uses tailwind a lot. Um, I like tailwind, I I use that for a lot of my treadmill long runs. My only problem with tailwind is I'm trying to stop. She's an ultra runner. So she carries the bags and she comes prepared and all that. But when you're trying to do like road races, like half marathons and full marathon stuff like that, I'm trying to avoid carrying stuff. So I'm trying not to run with a running belt or a bag anymore. So the only problem I'm finding with tailwind is that it's a powder that you have to get into a drink. So the only two options are to either pre-make a drink and carry it around with you or to figure out some type of way to get like the powder into a a drink on the run. Now, if you know that they're going to have closed water bottles on their course, then it's really not that big of a deal because you can bring some of the powder, drop it in a bottle, shake it up on the run and and keep it moving. But if they're going to have like, like a lot of races where it's just going to be like an open cup that you're supposed to just throw back while you're running, you can't shake an open cup. And so yeah. that's, that's when I haven't been able to try and use that on a, a race as well. But, uh, one thing you are, you're definitely doing right. Is you're trying these things out on your training runs. Um, don't ever try anything new for the first time on race day ever. Cause you know, those things are going to happen. You're going to ruin your race. My, my last marathon, uh, I got an unofficial sub four, but officially as far as like the chip time, I was like a four Oh one or no, sorry, four hours, a few seconds over four hours. And it was because I tried something new on race day and I had to go to the bathroom and I had to stop and wait for the Porter potty. And I'm like, man, five minutes in the Porter potty. It like, it pretty much cost me. And so Mm -hmm. don't try new things. Also try and watch like how close to your run you're eating. Uh, You know, I, especially when I'm going for longer runs, I try not to eat for a while, like two hours before bed. Plus try and get like your full, like six hours. I try not to eat anything for like eight, maybe even 10 hours before those Mm -hmm. runs, maybe some like fruit in the morning, something that's going to run through your body really quick that you can maybe even get it out before the run. Uh, But yeah, it's some of that stuff, like really, really heavy pastas, like right before bed and then getting up a few hours later, it's like that's the stuff that's going to sit with you. And that's the stuff that's going to start like the pot's going to start boiling while you're running. Mm-hmm. And then next, next thing, you know, I mean, your neighbors might like it though, cause they might get, they might get a bad view if they look out the window at the right time. But at the same time, a couple months later, they're going to have some really nice flowers. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it might work out for them. You never know. It depends on, it depends on how your neighbors think. Are they a half glass, half empty or half full? You know, is the garden half fertilized or full fertilized? <laughs> yep yep um but uh talk to us a little bit about the the missing i'm sorry murdered and missing indigenous women like however much detail you want to go into the platform is yours it's it's one of those things that like i i don't let people really talk about like politics or anything like that because you know that's one of those things that like there's, there's multiple different sides and, you know, not anybody is specifically right or wrong or anything like that, but there's just certain things where it's like, you know, this isn't a matter of like, you know, which side are you on? Are you on the left or the right? Are you on the blue or the red? This is one of those things that is just like, it's just bad and it needs to stop. And I think more people need to understand about it. So why don't you help enlighten some of us who might not even know even a little bit about what I'm talking about?
1: Sure, sure. So the MMIWG now, and I think there's even MMIP, so Missing, Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, Missing, Murdered Indigenous People, um, because men can go missing too, Um, It was something that developed, gosh, I wanna say, with at least within the last 10 years, at least from what I know, from what I remember, um, and it's basically, it brings awareness to indigenous people, you know, from Native American tribes and indigenous people as well, that go missing. Um, And it does, some of it, I think, belief stems back to when um, a few women were went missing from their reservation. Um, And there was yes, there is a documentary, I believe it's either on netflix or hulu but there there is an investigate there's like this huge documentary that brings awareness to it and it's like the story of a girl and her family and how this young girl went missing and um you know tribal reservations and tribal police are different than our regular laws so they follow you know they have a different jurisdiction and have different tribal laws and so um one of the things that has come up With this entire, the entire murdered and missing indigenous women is that um, there's predators that come onto reservation land, um, abduct women, abduct girls, um, and either kill them, murder them there, and then flee because they're on reservation land. So it's different law, different laws, different entities are involved. but the one that you're talking about, and I think it's the same documentary I'm talking about, the FBI was involved. And so they brought awareness to these two stories that were similar to one another uh, and how the, these girls went missing. Um, and they had been missing for like an, I wanna say almost an entire year, maybe even longer. And they were eventually found, um, but they were found on the reservation um, and it was, Places where they had already searched, um, they had done this, you know, big. I don't, I don't even big land search of these girls and never found them, and then all of a sudden, a year later, their bodies are found, and they swear that they did, you know, that entire investigation on this area, and how could they have been missing when they were right there, um, and so this even, it even spans all the way up to canada the first nation people they also have brought awareness to missing murder indigenous people and um this really came to the forefront for me uh, as a runner probably within the last maybe five years maybe three years um there's a young girl um and i can't remember which tribe she's from but she's from washington state And she actually ran her very last race, uh, I believe it was track. And she did the red handprint across the face. um, And that's the sign. That's what they that's the logo they use for missing murdered indigenous women. So if you ever see that red handprint, and it's usually across the mouth. um, So she did that as a statement to bring awareness to murdered missing indigenous women and one photo, one photographer took a picture of that and it just went viral. It went everywhere and it just brought this awareness, you know, and she was bringing it, um, to the forefront as a young girl, as an 18 year old senior in high school of how, you know, that this is a huge, a huge, you know, issue that's going on in Indian country and how we are being, um, how it's not being really recognized and so she did an interview and her name's rosalie fish and um she runs now i can't remember which college she runs for but she still wears the red handprint across her face um there's been other things that that um bring awareness to it like the red shawl there's um earrings that i also i also beadwork so i make earrings and I do a red shawl earring, um, and it's to represent that, the missing, Murder, Indigenous Women. I've seen other earrings um, where it's the handprint. Um, there's also this guy that does, um, he makes running bandanas, and it has it on there, MMIW, and it's got the handprint on it, and um, I was offering to pay for it and buy it from him, and he's like, no, we'll send it to you as long as you wear it when you run, and people ask you spread the word about what this is and i was like sure sure and um there's stickers there's all kind of things but there's so much information out there and it's it's alarming you know it's like it's almost like sex trafficking in a way but it's um but they're missing they're missing women and some of these stories go clear back to like the 80s when there's a, there's a local story here on one of our tri- on one of our uh, reservations, where this lady just went missing, and she still to this day has never been found, um, and she's from one of the tribes here in Oregon. And then even with my tribe, one of my tribes back in Oklahoma, there was a girl who also went missing, and they still never found her. So um, it's just something that's brought you know been brought to the forefront, and we even have youth. So every year we have a um, a conference and we invite youth from all of our different tribes. And one of the years they had um, the students develop shirts shirts, and they had them screen printed. And one of them was specifically about missing murdered indigenous women. And they were all printed on red shirts. And um, a few of us from work got these t-shirts and I was wearing it at one of a a totally separate conference and up in Washington. And this girl came up to me and she said, did you know i'm the one who um developed this shirt i said oh my gosh really like you need to sign it for me then so she signed it for me and i have a shirt that was developed by this young girl at the time she was like 17 she's now obviously like a young adult but um yeah it's just something that has grown you know and i think if it wasn't for that that native american runner Rosalie fish um, it wouldn't have been brought to the forefront the way it, the way it has been because it was like on the front paper of you know some of the um, native newspapers in tribal communities and they see her running with that and they're like what is that what does that mean you know and I actually met the photographer it was crazy I was at a running event and he was asking he was like oh are, you know are you Native American and I was like yeah and he was like do you know this girl. And I was like, no, but I've heard of her. He goes, yeah, I was the one who took that photograph of her. I was like, Oh my gosh, I saw that. You know, that's, that's so awesome. And he's like, yeah, it's just really sad that, you know, this is such a, this is such a huge issue that hasn't, you know, been brought, you know, brought up before, but now, you know, obviously, you know about the the documentary that was done and there's just, there's a lot of stories and it's not just women, it's men too. You know, for sure. so they've really they've included men, children.
0: Well, shout out to Rosalie, uh being a young adult using her platform to to help raise awareness, you know, for her people. I love that. Uh for you know, for John and Jane, who might just be at home listening to this episode, sitting on their sofa, maybe they to their knowledge, they don't even know any you know, Native Americans or anything like that, just for no other reason other than where they grew up. And it's it's just not around them. And they never heard of this. They never realized this was an issue. And this is just the first time they're hearing anything of the nature. How can someone like that, is there anything that that person can do to help, you know, with, if, if they've never even heard of anything like this? Like, is there a website they can go to? Is, is there something that they can say to someone in local authorities? Is there anything that a random person can do if they've never heard about any of this and, and it's not a part of their culture?
1: Yeah, I would say um, first, like, look it up, you know, um, but also the Native American or Native Women Running has a website and they dedicate right now the month of May is um, dedicated towards um, MMIW and they actually held a a run uh, I think maybe like two weeks ago in honor of that and every shirt that's um, purchased and they sell stickers and all these other things a portion of that goes back to that is the MMIW Um, but I would like most definitely look it up. Um, I took advantage of that race because, because they were raising money and awareness around MMIW and I purchased a shirt and I ran the race and, you know, tagged them and they just, it, it's it expanded so far. Um,
0: I remember when I you did find, that and that's when I reached out to you about it in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, they just, they've grown, it's grown so much since then. And, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's really alarming and it's sad, you
0: know, it really is. And like I said, it's not one of those things. It's not like politics or anything like that, where it's like, Oh, well, those are your views. And these are my views. I don't think anybody out there would think that it's, it's okay for anybody to go missing and this and that. So it's just something that it just, it needs to be talked about a little bit more. So it, it can, maybe we can help someone again, you know, if, if these stories can just help just save one person, then we're doing something we're and we're going to step in the right direction, uh, on a little bit of a lighter note, I almost forgot to ask you, tell me about sitting, sitting, uh, right there at the Olympic trials. I mean, a lot of people listening to this are runners. We love track and field, you know, and, and, and we, we, a lot of us love everything about the sport and just athletics in general. Like you were, you were at track town and I remember where we were sending messages. Like, I don't remember what was going on. I think like you had like coming up around like one of your month anniversaries or something, something sober anniversary related. And I remember saying, congratulations. And you sent me a picture of like, this is where I'm celebrating. I'm here with, I think you went with your mom or something. And I was like, yo, like I I remember being so jealous because I was watching the trials from at home. And I just remember being so... So, so jealous. And I'm like, did you get the, did you see that? Like, did you, where I was talking to you all day about all of the races that we were watching, but yeah. Tell, tell us how it was being out there and the heat, the heat oh, was God. disgusting. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, it was just something me and my mom looked into. And my mom was, my mom also did track when she was in high school. She was long distance though. So that's obviously where the genes kicked in okay. um, and where I get it from. But um, uh, yeah, we decided we would go up there and it was, I think it was in July or August. I don't, I think it was July, but yeah, it, we were hitting literally like, we didn't know what the weather was going to be like. We got the tickets in advance and it was pretty much almost sold out. And this was the first time we had been to Hayward field where they had actually remodeled it and redone it. And it's so beautiful. You saw it. Like, it's like, it's amazing. It's amazing track everything, at a stadium. Like I was just like, oh my god, you know, like wow. And um, so you know, we hit, we hit, uh, we hit a world record or what is it, state record of heat that weekend. And I told my mom, I was like, you know, like, are you sure you want to go? And she's like, yeah, like let's go. You know, we're never gonna have this opportunity ever again. You know, that's what we're thinking. And, you know, the world just opened up too. So it's like, yeah, let's go. So we get down there and it was like 112 degrees at one point. And we were up in the second level, which is still, we were at the start line. We could see everything. And they had only done a few events and then they had given all of the runners and everybody, all, everybody in the field, like a break. And so we go down and we go from 200 level down to the, down to the track and you could just feel the heat radiating off of the off of the track like it was so hot um, they were showing videos of the girls that when they were running you know when they're in their stance and they'd get up to take off and run their knees were bleeding because it was that hot yeah. it was like burning yeah it's like, like, like that was hard. real yeah,
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah so we'd go down and we're eating and then like all of a sudden people are like saying the the race has been postponed and then they're saying, oh no, it's been canceled. I mean, the word traveled like so fast and we're like, what's going on? And so we try to go back up to where we're sitting and the guy's like, nope, everybody has to evacuate. Everybody has to evacuate the field. It's way too hot. Um, like literally the track is starting to melt, you know, and um And at this time in one of the races previous to that, a girl like collapsed on the field, like on the field as she was like done with her race. And so, um, and then she couldn't run again, but, um, so we're like, well, we left some of our stuff up there. Can we go get it? And the guy was like, well, you can go, but she needs to stay here. And I'm like, okay, I'll run up there and grab our stuff and we'll leave, you know? So they post, they postponed the race for like four hours and we're about two hours from our house. And. I'm like, well, do we stay here? What do you want to do? You know, I'm like, we got to see half of it. Like, I'd really want to stay and see the rest, you know? And she's like, well, maybe they'll cancel it. And, you know, we'll get a comeback tomorrow. And they ended up redo, rescheduling the race for that evening at like 8 PM. And it was still like 106 degrees. And we were already home at this time watching the race on TV. But I remember, but I remember one point, like looking over at my mom, she's just red. And I'm like, mom, I'm like, you need to go, go down there go get something cold and, you know, go. Cause they were have, they said, bring your own spray, little water fan, you know, make sure and they were handing out towels and, and she was gone for like 20 minutes. And I'm looking around I'm like, oh my God, what if she like had a heat stroke or what if she's heat exhausted? You know, I'm, I'm like thinking all these things. And then I'm like, oh my God, knowing my mom. I bet you she snuck down on the one hundred level and she's like gonna end up on the track somewhere all discombobulated, you know. <laughs> so, so we made so he made like this big joke that she was down on the track and she was all, you know, he'd exhausted and didn't know where she was, but she wasn't. She came back and she's just like, Oh, I'm I'm okay. I'm like, Are you sure? And but yeah, she's set through, you know, God bless my mom. God bless her came back with four autographs
0: she... of a future Olympic <laughs> athlete. Mom, <Mama laughs> right? don't fuck around.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, so, but she's been at, you know, I know you were you talked about my mom, but I, you know, shout out to her. Like, she's been at all of my races, all of my marathons. She volunteers for all of them. She sees me at the start line and the finish line. Um, She takes me to my races, especially if they're like half, ever since I passed out she makes sure she drives me to my half marathon races and that she drives me home and this even goes back to like god I would say back in like 2018 20 you know even before my running got real serious and she's she's been my number one supporter you know and she's just been there and it's so amazing and it's just so like just I just love seeing her at the beginning and at the end you know and I always tell her I
0: love it (laughs)
1: yeah I always tell her I'm like mom you don't have to do this you know she's like no I love it I enjoy it you know this is where I get my you know this is where I get to live vicariously through you and I get to feel and see all these runners come through and I get to watch you know so she just she loves it she enjoys it
0: so shout out to the moms (laughs) that are that are our number one fans out there my mom is the same way I love it like she's always she's always been my number one fan but especially too like since I sobered up it's like she always does something for me every year on my sober birthday. Like she's the one that's flying me out to Vegas next week. And, you know, she took me out to Ohio last year for my third sober birthday. And we went to like Dr. Bob's house and I got to run a race and like, she's just like, man, shout out to those moms that are like a one since day one and just like rocking with us. And it's, it's just so cool. And I love that I get to see that through you as well. It's like you said, your, your story and your journey is just so much fun to watch, seeing everything you post, um, the last, the last thing I want to put you on the spot with is, uh, you talked about the beads. What is, oh, yeah. what do we got to do? I, I want to, I want to something staying fit. Oh, that, you know, a, a hat or a hat or something, but your work is absolutely oh, fire. Your work is fire. Like I see this stuff, especially the stuff you've done for like Eddie for like his baseball hats and whatnot, man, I saw that and I was like, I needs that. So what, what? What is what does Meg's got to do to get it some staying fit Oda hat or, or something you
1: all you have to do is send me a hat and I'll hook it up and I'll send it back to you and that will be your anniversary gift
0: much the
1: gift yep. I think I
0: might even I might even have a spreadsheet still with your uh, with your address from when we did the Oda OMAP, but if not I'll have to get it from you um but uh yeah i'm I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make that happen cool uh, word is there uh let me just see one second so for all the people out there listening to this episode uh for those that might be still sick and suffering and looking or hoping to hear something to put the drink or the drug down or for those that might be sober today and we're thinking about picking up a drink or a drug and needed to hear something to not do so uh, for those people out there who just really needed to hear something from your story today birdie what can you tell those out there that'll help them either put the drink or the drug down or not pick it up today
1: I would say start from the beginning and see where you end up and if it's, and you'll know what's right and what works for you.
0: Oh, I love that. Talk about, talk about keeping it simple, straight to the basics. I absolutely love that. A little little bit of self-identification there as well. I love that a lot. Um, Yeah, it really has been a pleasure to have you on here today. This is everything that I thought it would be uh, even, even got me choked up, got me, got me some tears. Like, man, I think I'm going to need a nap after this one. Every time I share my podcast or every time I share my story on someone else's podcast, it's like, I try not to have anything going on afterwards. Cause I'm like, man, sometimes it can be like so emotionally draining that it's like, you just don't really want to do anything after. It's just like, sometimes you just need a, a nap and you need to decompress and you need to relax, maybe go for a run, but you just need like some chill time. I, at least, at least for me, I just need like a couple hours to like just not do anything. And um, usually it's a little bit different when I'm the one interviewing. It's it's not that way. But man, for this one, I feel like I'm going to need a nap because you you made me cry. Look, the 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 special the uh, assistant uh, the podcast <laughs> co host here is popping in. Wanted a little bit of camera time. Say say hi to Birdie Bronx. Hi. Say hi. Happy late Can birthday. <laughs> oh, she hey she said happy belated birthday. Can you show her how many you turned? Let, let the record, let the record show he did put up four fingers, (laughs)
1: Nice, (laughs) but
0: but yeah, this, uh, this story got me um, emotional too. And it's, it's cause I think about moments like this too, you know, I'm a father of three and it's like, man, you know what, anything can happen in in the glimpse of an eye. And, you know, I try and stay sober for this guy. And, you know, what if, what if God decided it was time and, you know, I don't it's something I don't even want to think about, but unfortunately sometimes it's just reality. And so, you know, definitely prayers out to your family. I hope that you get a chance to get that closure, whether it's from the gentleman writing back or you eventually getting to see him or whatever the case may be. I just hope that your family gets that closure that they deserve. And hopefully just for his own sake, hopefully he's doing the right things in there and focusing on becoming a better person for himself because, you know, one day he's going to be back out in society and hopefully he just has a different mindset and it's not doing some of those same similar things and it's not a repeat cycle. Uh, so with all that being said, definitely, again, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us and to share everything and to help, again, bring bring a little bit of awareness to the missing and murdered indigenous women. Uh, we got to cover a lot of stuff, uh, you know, some fertilized gardens out there and, and all that cool stuff. <laughs> but uh, thanks for taking the time with us on behalf of everybody in the Staying Fit ODAC community, all the members in the Facebook group that you've been in almost since day one. And everybody listening in 30 countries or so listening to this podcast, Birdie, we thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. All we ask from us to you is that you continue staying healthy, continue staying fit. And Birdie, my friend, tell us how you're doing it.
1: One day at a time and one mile at a time. Ooh, ODAT, OMAT, I
0: love it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit ODAT. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on, and you wanna continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T. You can also email us with any questions comments or concerns at stayingfitodaat at gmail.com until next time just know you're loved continue staying healthy continue staying fit and please keep doing this one day at a time